Good to celebrate with you graduating. Those of you graduating, good to be praying for you. Uh, it would also be good for us to continue to pray for Pastor Jake and Riley as they await the birth of baby girl any moment now. Well, may, well yeah, you would probably prefer any moment now. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you stand up and leave, I might applaud on the way out or something. Okay. Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Grab your Bible. We're going to get right to it here. So grab your Bible and open to Daniel chapter 6. Don't be uh, shy and use the table of contents if you need it to find the book of Daniel in the Old Testament portion of your Bible uh, or open your uh, device, your Bible app on a device and uh, love to have you bring a Bible so you can follow along as we teach through God's Word. There will be some things on the screen but not the text of the Scripture. Given you a moment to get to Daniel 6, and we're going to complete our uh, series through the first half of Daniel today, uh, and then see, and then have other things, and God has other things in store for us in the coming weeks in this summer. Okay, Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. So where are we at in the scope of, of, of history? Where are we at in the scope of God's people? Remember, if you've been with us for this series, uh, as we join Daniel and friends, uh, they are among God's people, the people of Israel, who have been exiled away from their land and been taken off to Babylon. And there in these previous chapters, we've been following the, uh, the wild adventures of D Daniel and friends as they serve away from home, exiled into this foreign kingdom, uh, and called into service of the government there, of the, of the officials there. And so even though God's people have been taken out of their home, Daniel's um, faithfully serving, leader after leader. We, have, we first found him serving Nebi, then belly, and now today, Darius. Yeah, dairy, whatever you want to do. Have some fun with it. Uh, so he's faithfully serving. Uh, coming up now on 70 years in exile, Daniel has been faithfully serving um, these, these different leaders. And, and not only serving them, <clears throat> but serving them with success. The, 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 those on the outside there kind of keep attributing it to, he has an excellent spirit in him. And we know the reason that Daniel has been set aside and given wisdom is because he is a follower of the one true God. And so he has um, all of this success, and that's why we've been calling our series 
thriving in Babylon. It's one of the things we've been doing in this series through the first half of Daniel is looking to Daniel's example of how to live for God in a godless culture. And, and certainly, God's word, as we follow Daniel's example, can, can show us that. Uh, Jesus' words to us are that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And Daniel's a great example of this. He's in the culture. He's in Babylon. And yet he knows that he's in many ways distinct from Babylon. He doesn't let being in Babylon overwhelm him and cause him to change his values, the values of the one true God. And so we want to we be like Daniel and ask God, to help us live for God in a godless culture. Church family, can we ask God to help us be sent? Jesus sent us into the world, not to be of the world, overwhelmed by the world, shaped by the world, but nonetheless, Jesus sent us in the, into the world. So can we ask for God's help to care for those around us, to love people that need to see God in us, and to serve because God has put us there. Like Daniel found himself in Babylon, you and I find ourselves where we are in our world, in our culture, in our spheres of influence with the opportunity for God to use us for his purposes. So let's keep going. Verse four. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. They sought to find something wrong with him. They sought to find... Uh, uh, a kink in the armor, a place where he was doing the wrong thing. These high officials are, are gathering together and conspiring to find something uh, against Daniel. And what's going on here? Like most people, most scholars that study this uh, likely agree that there's jealousy going on. D Daniel has been elevated, and, and Daniel's an outsider who has been had a lot of success in his government job and serving these kings. And so he's been elevated to these high positions. Uh, perhaps there's envy of, of Daniel's high position. These other high officials, no doubt, thinking, why not me? I could be there. And, you know, we have a tendency, I think, to read some of these stories at times, don't we, and go, well, shame on them for being jealous. But it's not just them, is it? How does jealousy and envy creep in to my life and cause me to act in ways that are not pleasing to God? We want to come to God's word and not just keep cruising through it, but we want to be willing to hold up God's word before us as a mirror to reveal what is going on in our own hearts. How do I allow jealousy and envy to creep in and cause me to act in ways that are not pleasing to God? Throughout this passage, you're gonna see these other high officials huddling up and coming to conclusions together. Coming to conclusions together against who? Against Daniel. How often do good things come from people gathering together in groups and talk about someone that's not there? I think we, we, before we rush on, I think we need to be careful not to make excuses for our behavior at times. I think we need to make, be careful not to make excuses for what in reality might be gossip or slander or cons conspiring. 
We, we make a lot of excuses in the church, even using prayer requests as an excuse to gossip. Be cautious. Know what information is yours to share and what is someone else's life and business. Okay? Verse 4 again. These high officials and satraps, they wanted to find something against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But get this, as verse 4 continues. But they could find no ground for complaint. They could, find, they could not find any fault because Daniel was so faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Can you, are, we, are we listening to that? Can we get our heads around that for a second? 120 guys gathered with the one purpose of finding something wrong in this guy's life and came up with Zippo. Impressive. One of, my comment, one of the commentators I read this week put it this way about Daniel. His books were in order. His numbers all added up. No bribes had been taken by Daniel and witnesses to the contrary could not be found. How would my life hold up under similar scrutiny? 120 people out to find where we've gone astray, where we've done the wrong thing, where we've served ourselves. And so, since they were having no luck finding anything against Daniel, they realized this, verse 5. These men said, well... We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so they're going to go after Daniel's faithfulness. They're going to go after his religion. Why? Because Daniel at this point has, uh, he, he must have a reputation as being a God honorer, as a God follower, as someone who is faithful and strong in his faith. He has that reputation, and so they figure the only place we're going to try to get him is if we, can, if we can get him something related to his life with God. How are we known? What is the reputation we have among those who don't follow Jesus? And, and this also, this kind of thing happening in Scripture should also remind us that following Jesus, we can expect persecution, trial, difficulty, this life is not our home, is not our permanent home. This earthly journey is not our permanent home. And so therefore, as we journey through uh, our earthly life, we may not always feel welcome as, the, as being those who honor God. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are all, were all agreed that you, king, should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, any man who prays to anybody except you should be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king... So go ahead, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that the law cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document 
and the injunction. And it's really interesting, and we don't, maybe I don't know exactly what's going on in Darius' heart here, what exactly is making him listen to these guys and go, yeah, sounds like a good idea. I should make everybody pray to only me. Scary. Now, was it more politically motivated than, than, than trying to be restricting religion? Possibly. Darius, this kingdom was over many different kinds of people in many far-reaching places, and maybe he saw it as an opportunity for unity to, to, to bring about one person for everyone to unite around rather than all their separate gods. But we, followers of Jesus who study our Bibles, know that there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So Darius has put himself in the place of God. Darius has put himself as the only mediator between God and men, a place where only Jesus belongs. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so Daniel knows about the law, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, the one true God. And I love this last part of verse 10. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed as he had done previously. It is his pattern. It is his life. It is his habit. Now, we said in our Thriving on, in Babylon series that we can take Daniel's example. Definitely, I think, one thing that we want to do as we study God's word in this passage is ask God to show us through Daniel what it looks like to live for God in a godless culture. But even better than looking to see what we can learn from Daniel is looking to see how this story of Daniel and friends fits into the grand scheme of things, the grand biblical story of God rescuing a people for himself and making things right again. As we think about it that way, Daniel is just a glimpse, just a little foreshadowing glimpse of Jesus, the promised rescuer, the rescuer to come. Jesus, too, had a reputation as having an excellent spirit in him. The, he was, Jesus was the very wisdom of God. Jesus, too, was conspired against. Like Daniel, Jesus was conspired against. And yet, Jesus' response, like Daniel's, was to go to pray. Because like Daniel's life pattern was to seek God and talk with him, and hear from him, and trust him. We see, that, uh, we see that example in scriptures, even from Jesus himself, Jesus who was God's very son, yet during his earthly journey prioritized seeking the Father in prayer. So what is my life pattern? What is your life pattern? Do we pray do we obey Jesus? Do we obey Jesus even, even if somehow obedience to Jesus is made illegal, like Daniel experienced? Will we have the integrity to live for the one true God despite circumstances, despite peer pressure, 
despite our godless culture. Church family, you're not in it alone there. You, follower of Jesus, are empowered by, the, by God who lives in you. The Spirit of God lives within you, empowering you to obey Jesus. It's not just that Jesus says, do this, do that, and you're like trying your best. It's follower of Jesus. You have Jesus in you, and so as you trust in him and as the Spirit lives his life through you, you are empowered to live for him. Amen? You're not on your own strength. Uh, verse 11. Then these men came by agreement. Here's these, these, all these other leaders gathering together again. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition. They came and they found Daniel in his position of prayer, pleading before his God. Verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king... So here goes the tattletales. They went to the king. Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or any man within 30 days except you, O oh, king, didn't you make a petition that that person will be thrown into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, This thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. In other words, they came to the king, they tattled, they alerted him. Or, well, they didn't tattle yet, I guess, technically, did they? So far, they've just said, hey, wasn't there this rule? And they've gotten the king to agree. And by affirming the law, they've gotten the king to affirm that there is a law. And they've gotten the king to affirm the fact that the consequence of the law is the lion's den. And now by affirming the law and, and affirming the consequence the king has put himself in a tough spot. Because now the tattletaling comes. Verse 13, Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. I took a little creative license there. The Bible is written. We don't have the benefit of facial expressions and tone of voice, right? But I'll explain in a moment. They answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed. And he actually just keeps praying to anybody who wants three times a day. Here's the deal. That, that reference to where Daniel was from was very possibly uh, an ethnic slur, racial hatred being expressed against Daniel. Otherwise, why include it? And... and uh, and, and scholars, you know, have pointed this out, that, that likely by referencing Daniel, who, who, where he's from, it's with disdain, it's with racial hatred, it's, it's against an outsider. And as we come to God's word and we want God's word to be a mirror that we hold up to ourselves and ask ourselves tough questions, I think it's important to ask this one as well. Do I unnecessarily reference a person's race ethnicity, or looks. When I tell a story, when I tell about an interaction, when I describe someone, might there be perfectly legitimate reasons to include these details? Perhaps. But I think it's an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, when we do include those details, where is that coming from? Is there anything underneath that? Was it necessary to the story? Or does it describe something 
dark that's going on in my broken, sinful, selfish heart when I bring that into the equation. I think it's, it's worth a look. But here's what's interesting. They, they perhaps used this as an insult to Daniel to say he's not from here. And you know what? They're right. And Daniel knows it. But now I'm not talking about what earthly nation they're from. Now I'm talking about the fact that Daniel knows that Babylon is not his true home. Daniel knows, as we followers of Jesus know, that our citizenship is in heaven. That, that, that our true home is with God for eternity, and that our earthly life then is just temporary and we are passing through. Daniel knew that he wasn't from there. He was living for God where God had him. It didn't matter what earthly place God had put him. He was living his life to honor the one true God. And so while you and I are here, while you and I are where we are, Dallas, Oregon, 2023 with the people we know and the jobs that we have and the schools that we go to and the neighbors that we have, while you and I are here, like Daniel, we have an opportunity to be kingdom ambassadors. Forget our earthly origins. We have an opportunity to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, to describe to, our, to those around us the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, how he has saved us from sin and death, and he has given us new life. We have an opportunity to be kingdom ambassadors, calling people to live in God's kingdom. That's Daniel's example to us as he was thriving in Babylon. So let's keep going. When we get to verse 14, we're going to see that um, the conspirators are not only trying to trap Daniel in, to get Daniel to break a law, really they're, they're trapping the king. They're really putting the king in a bad spot too. Verse 14. So then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. So the king likes Daniel. He elevated Daniel. He put Daniel in charge. And now when they've told him that Daniel is breaking the law and praying to his God, the king is distressed. And actually, he set his, it says the king set his mind to deliver Daniel, to rescue Daniel. He labored the rest of the day figuring out a way to get Daniel out of this. Verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, no, O king, that it's a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance can be changed. The king wanted to help Daniel, but he can't lose face here. He's already signed this injunction. They've put him in a tough spot. Jesus, too, was let down by a weak ruler. Jesus, too, was let down by a ruler who gave in to the crowds. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Then the king made the commandment. They had tattled. They had told that Daniel had broken the law, that Daniel was still praying to his God. And so verse 16 tells us that the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. 
And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. What does that sound like? A stone was rolled out and covered the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet. What does that sound like? We should be getting resurrection vibes here. We should be getting tomb vibes. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. In other words, they used the seal at the mouth of the lion's den to make sure that no outside help could come to Daniel. There's a king's seal there. If it's broken, everybody's going to know that someone has come to help Daniel. And so Daniel is on his own. Or so it seems. In an earthly perspective, it would sure seem like Daniel was on his own. But the king's last words to Daniel were, may your God deliver you. So we've been saying that we can learn from Daniel's example. But even more, when we come to the scriptures, we want to ask God to show us how the scriptures point to the big picture of the Bible that God set about a rescue plan to bring us into his family. And so Daniel is just a glimpse of Jesus. And we've looked at that along the way, and it continues right now. Daniel is delivered over to death. He is cast into the lion's den. And that's a glimpse that reminds us that Jesus was delivered over to death. Jesus was taken to the cross. And Jesus, when nailed, brutally crucified to the cross, the scriptures record that among his last words were Jesus hanging on the cross and quoting Psalm 22 saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same Psalm that includes, save me from the mouth of the lion. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace. Listen to what, what listen to Darius's experience. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. We, we need to let, let the tension build up a little bit here. The king has just done what with Daniel? Cast him into the lion's den, delivered him to death. From an earthly perspective, Daniel's on his own. And let the tension build a little bit here. The king is so bothered by this that there's no food for him that night, there's no entertainment for him that night, and there's no sleep for him that night. And, and as we read the scripture, now just for a second, pretend that you've been living under a rock and you don't know the end of the story yet. If you were just reading the scripture, or if we were living, in this, living when this is happening, we too are in the dark. The king is pacing his palace, no food, no entertainment, no sleep. And like the king, as, at least as this passage is progressing, we are left in the dark too. It doesn't tell us anything about what happens to Daniel when he gets thrown into the den. We don't get anything about what his night is like. We are left tossing and turning and pacing as well and waiting till the next morning like the king, arriving at the den the next morning, not knowing if Daniel is dead or alive. Pretend 
for a minute, church family, pretend for a minute you don't know the end of the story, and so far what you've got is the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into a den of lions. When we first hear that, how do we imagine Daniel? How do you imagine Daniel and his experience? What do you expect to happen? What do you think Daniel's demeanor is like? What would you have felt like as you tumbled down into the pit? Verse 19. Then at the break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of the lions. And listen to, the, listen to how much the, the king has been bothered. Verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? One quick note here. It's interesting. It's not just Daniel on trial. Daniel has been found to break a rule and been thrown in, into the den of lions. And so it's kind of like whatever happened to Daniel is going to show us whether Daniel was guilty or not, but really what's also going on here is it's almost as if God is on trial too. Do you hear the, voice, the words of the king? Has your God been able to rescue you? It's one thing for Daniel and for us to pray to our God and make our requests known and listen to him and trust in him, but do we know that God is with us do we know that he has the power to save? So the king, in a tone of anguish, says, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? In verse 21, a voice comes back from the pit. A voice answers the king from the lion's den. 21, Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. I mean, again, I'm taking some creative license, but can we have some fun with this for a minute? You got the king in anguish, pacing the thing, pacing, doesn't know what's going to happen, is so worried, comes to the thing, and then the reply, as far as I'm concerned, the reply is very calm and casual and untroubled. Is that what we expected from Daniel? I mean, I asked you just a couple minutes ago, as you're tumbling into the pit, what would you have felt like? What did you assume would happen? And now we've got this voice going, hey, I'm good. I'm good. Daniel, it seems that Daniel had a better, more comfortable night in the lion's den than the king did in all his royal luxury. And you know why he had a better night? Because God was with him. Uh, one of the commentators put it this way. When we, when we imagine that voice of Daniel calling back to the king, hey, check it out. My God sent an angel. It was cool. One of the commentators I studied this week put it like this. We may almost imagine the prophet Daniel leaning back on a warm, furry lion, <laughs> conversing for hours with the angel about heavenly things until he was so rudely interrupted by Darius calling to him. 
I mean, I, you know, I just don't, I don't think at first glance that that's our expectation of Daniel's experience. I think we picture tumbling in there. I think we picture being extremely frightened by some wild animals. And then we, we really, we get that. We get Daniel just chilling. Verse 21, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. This is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what he does. He saves us. And, and Daniel, in answering the king, just proves the meaning of his name is true. The, the, Daniel's name means God is my judge. And he was thrown, he was declared guilty and thrown as a consequence into the lion's den. And he comes out unharmed and his name is proven true. It's, it's only God who is my judge. It's God's opinion of me that matters. So, so not only was Daniel on trial, but if God was on trial too, not only is Daniel alive, but Daniel being alive declares that the one true God of the universe is alive and well and vindicated and can do whatever he wants. And you darn well better believe he has the power to save. Right? The king wondered, do you have, does your God have the power? Now he knows. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Man, remember a few chapters ago when, the Dan, when the, Daniel's friends come out of the fire and there's not even the smell of fire on them. Reminds me of that. They pulled Daniel out and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And you know, I love that we uh, just typically have referred to this story as Daniel and the lion's den. One of the commentators I studied this week, I love it, he referred to it as the angel's den. Because you know what God made true? God made true that it wasn't about lions, that it was about God's protection of Daniel, of God's power to save if he so chooses. Now, lest we get critical here, lest we get skeptical and wonder, well, what is up with these lions? Maybe they weren't hungry. There's no way. Daniel, come on. He can't be like so casually going, I'm good. Our, our, our criticalness might be raising a red flag here going, eh, something doesn't add up. What's up with these lions? So lest we wonder if the lions were just furry and tame, and lest we take away credit from our God and his rescuing power, the passage continues in this tragic way. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men had, uh, and the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They their children, and their wives. And before they reached the... Before 
before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. There's a lot to cover here that we don't have time for, but this, this act of punishment, this consequence was clearly part of the culture of that time. And there's a lot about it that's unacceptable to us. But that's what it was. But what I know we can take away from it is that this is a sobering warning against rejecting Daniel's God. This is a sobering warning against rejecting the one true God, the creator of the universe. And uh, one thing we should make clear, one thing I should just make clear, because you know, we want to be careful what assumptions we make, is this story does not teach that God will always deliver us from our suffering. I would love to tell you that every time you found yourself in a lion's den, in a tough spot, in a difficult circumstances, in a trial, in pain, in suffering of some kind during your earthly journey, I would love to tell you that he's going to send you an angel and that you're going to come through unharmed, but I can't. He has the power to save. He sure can if he wants. And everything that happens to us in our earthly journey goes across God's desk. It's either enacted by God or allowed by God. And we sang a song, and I think we're going to say it again, that I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done going to the cross for us. This passage doesn't teach that God will always deliver us from our suffering, but it is true that for those apart from Jesus, there is no hope of rescue. Verse 25. Thanks for hanging in there. I'm taking a little longer than I meant to. I shouldn't even say that, but I'm just being honest. So ready? Let's, let's finish it up. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, earth Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And listen to what this pagan king declares about the one true God. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved, uh, the one he's talking to about is the one who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So it's, it's been a fun series. It's been a fun series for me to study. It's been a fun series for us to consider the adventures of Daniel and friends. It's uh, been a good to learn how we too can thrive in Babylon, how we can learn from Daniel and friends how to live for God in a godless culture. But really, even more so, what have we been reminded of this morning? Really what we want to see is that Daniel is a glimpse of God's rescuing work through Jesus Christ. Really, what we want to take away from our study of Daniel is that Daniel is just a little glimpse foreshadowing that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like Daniel, Jesus was delivered over to death. 
Jesus willingly endured the cross to bring about our forgiveness and our rescue. And it's amazing for us this morning. It's fun. And it's amazing to consider how Daniel was rescued from this this lion's den. That is fun to imagine and great to celebrate God's power to save. But even more than celebrating how Daniel was brought out of the lion's den, even more is our opportunity this morning to celebrate with thankfulness the spectacular news of the gospel, that Jesus was delivered over to death, that he suffered death. Unlike Daniel, he suffered death and then conquered death. The tomb, the the stone was rolled away. Jesus is alive. And if you are in Jesus, if you are in Jesus, those of you who have trusted in him for salvation, who have recognized you can't save yourself, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor, that it's not about what you do, that you've come to the end of yourself and recognize that it's not what you do, but it's all about what Jesus has already done for you. If you are in Christ, if you've put your trust in him for salvation, then like Jesus raised from the dead and experienced new life, you too can have new life. Life now, rich, full, meaningful. Life now, help with, from the Lord now, his presence with you and helping you to walk this earthly journey. And yes, new life forever, eternally in the blessed presence of our great God. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity this morning to study your word. Thank Father, as we study your word, thank, we do thank you for the examples throughout scriptures of godly believers, of people whose lives were centered on you, were focused on you. And yet, God, we know that these examples in scripture and the examples around us of people who love you are not perfect people. We fall short. We go our own way. We rebel against you. And so, God, As much as we thank you for the example of these godly believers, Daniel and friends, we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending Jesus, the son of God, the promised rescuer, into the world to bring about our rescue. We thank you for the cross and Jesus' willingness to endure death on our behalf so that we might live God, as a result of our celebration for your goodness, for your love for us through Christ, I I pray that we would then uh, live for you in all we do. God, I pray that you would teach us to live for God in a godless culture. It is our desire. I I think it is our desire. I think it's my desire. I think it's our desire as a church family to be light in our community, to be ambassadors for Jesus, to be proclaimers of the kingdom of God, to a world who is hurting and in need of your love. So God, thank you for being with us. Thank you that, that, that living for you, that living on mission for you is not up to our own efforts or our own power. Thank you that we are not alone, but that you are a God who has come near, who is with us, who empowers us, who enables us to live for you. God, thank you for saving us through Jesus. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Make us new change us, transform us from the inside out so that we can live for you, increasingly surrendering every area of life. We want to live for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.